I don't, I don't even, I mean, there's lots of different stops on the, the Ian Poulter tour in this episode. I'm not even really sure where to start. Uh, I guess I'll start at the, be- the beginning of the episode where he's asked, does he enjoy playing in the Ryder Cup? And he goes, do bears shit in the woods? Is the Pope Catholic? If that is, if, if that is not Ian Poulter, then I don't know what is. That felt real to me. That felt authentic. Yeah, I think a lot of people complain about Ian Poulter coming across as like putting on a show for the camera. And there are elements of that in this episode. Like the club throw in the locker room was like completely fake. But I mean, I totally believed him. I totally believe that was Ian Poulter when that was his response about whether he likes playing the Ryder Cup or not. So, Well, I think that's the real. point. Like who yeah. who is Ian Poulter? Ian Poulter is someone who will perform for the cameras. I mean, they, they, go, they I mean, both are true because... Yeah, they're the same. We we've seen some good club throws too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that one was fake. <laughs> too bad we didn't have a Sergio episode. Yeah, I Not wish yet. I wish we had a Sergio episode. I really do. <laughs> so uh, some other scenes in this episode, we had uh, Monahan's press conference at the players, where he said the PJ Tour is moving on and they're focused on legacy and not leverage. Um, some of the reasons that. Holter gave for joining Liv were money and time away from his kids while he was on the PGA Tour, wanting to spend more time with his kids, uh, which is another talking point that that I think we should get into at some point uh, during this conversation. I, I particularly enjoyed the uh, all of the audio that they cut together of the different golf announcers commenting on his clothes. Uh, the, my my three favorites were uh, wallpaper in a hallway bathroom, and looks like he stole some Motel Six drapes. And we got a Faldo quote, uh, a, a guest appearance from from Nick Faldo, Sir Nick, saying, "Those shoes disturb me." So some good some good moments there. We got a, a callback from Paul Casey withdrawing from the Dell match play after only playing a couple holes, and and that being. Somewhat controversial. They didn't really mention it in the episode, but it reminded me of of the controversy that came from him him withdrawing and then wondering why people were so upset that he very clearly was hurt before the tournament and played a couple holes and then and because there's no cut in that event, he got paid anyways. They were putting on a private jet. I'm not sure what screams I don't need more money than that. DJ was being interviewed about Liv and he made some comment about how he was really interested. And they asked him what that meant. And he said, I'll be watching and gave a cheeky smile. <clears throat> and we all know that he was later than playing in the first event. And then one, uh, I guess, say this is my meta question of this episode. They, they kept talking about they don't make the cut. If you're not in the top 65 in, in ties after two days, then they don't get paid. And they kept talking about the financial strain that a lot of these players are under. But they didn't really go into it any more than that. They didn't really talk about, okay, well, obviously, if Jordan Spieth makes the cut, he's not really worried about being able to pay the bills. But you know, maybe if the 125th ranked player in the world misses the cut, that is maybe a little bit more of a bigger deal. Um, so my question is, what do they need to make to cover their expenses in a given week like what are their expenses in a given week um i'm not even sure that that's like a golf nerd question i think that that was mentioned so much throughout the series um it felt like they never built on that from episode to episode which is uh, a little frustrating i i I think they were kind of going for you can start on any episode and and not really miss anything but you know i I think i mean i don't know maybe they probably know how people watch their own a streaming service better than I do, but it seems like for me, most people who watch this are going to start at episode one, and if they like it, they'll keep going. And there's opportunity to build on some of the concepts and, and make it a little bit more complicated and kind of you know hang the carrot out and then and drag it back a little bit more and, and draw people in. Um, so I don't know. I thought that that was something that I was a little bit disappointed in in the third episode where we're still at these basic concepts explaining like what what it means to make a cut like this is something that we've covered multiple times already well i mean if you watch professional sports you know that people who are frequent like winners within a championship who comes to mind right now is like tom brady it's like how many super bowls would have been enough for tom brady if you're a golfer how much of a purse do you need for it to be enough how much do you need to make a week for you to feel like you're you're covering your expenses? How much do you feel like you need 
to make your time worthwhile. And for the question of Ian Poulter, how much do you need to warrant being away from your family for weeks or months on end, right? I think this episode brought a really good point to me of why someone who's not American would join Live Golf. Because you have you have this this British guy who is away from his family for so long. And then it like, okay, it may make, it no doubt makes financial sense to join, to join live. We, we've, we can move on from that, but from like a, a logistic standpoint, like you can now spend more time with your family because you are not away for 20 plus weeks of the year at least well but, but, but are you like now live live went from eight events to now they're playing 14 events plus they all want to play in the four majors so that's already 18 events i mean that's already pretty close to that 20 and then plus they still need the world ranking points so they're going to play in some asian tour events and like and they're going to play it's so they've already sued their way into the dp tour so they're going to play in the race to dubai like it, like they're they're probably i mean i don't i haven't looked up how many tournaments each of them has played and it'd be interesting to kind of follow along this year to see how many tournaments they actually do play in 2023 but i wouldn't be surprised if they end up playing more this year it's like okay either one you were lied to which is possible we've seen a lot uh there's a, a pretty good twitter thread that came out recently about all the stipulations in these guys live contracts which is really interesting actually to see how much <laughs> How many of the things that the, they were complaining about the, P, the PJ Tour didn't it change when like, they went over to Live? It, it, it sounds like Live is sitting on a, on a billions of dollars of media rights. Actually, well, they are sitting on billions of dollars in the Saudi investment fund, but uh, that's another conversation. So I, I don't know. That that just it, it feels a little bit disingenuous. Told that I'm doing this for this reason, and then turns out, well, I'm actually going to be away from my family more. I prefer the DJ approach of like, they're paying me more money. So I took it. It's that simple. Like, okay. Like I can appreciate the honesty and it doesn't feel like you're trying to sell me something that is clearly not there. I'm, I'm with you on, on the live takes for the most part there, Caleb. Um, but again, just to, just to hone in on Poulter a little bit here with the with episode three, just, I don't know for me, William, you mentioned this too. The overwhelming takeaway from this episode was wealth is so relative is like truly so relative. And most of the guys in the PGA Tour can thank Tiger for the fact that they're all incredibly rich if they had any measure of success over the last 20 years. And Poulter, you know, to his credit, probably has a more successful individual career than people realize. You know, he got up into the top five of the world at one point in time. He's got a few wins on tour. Never a major, but, you know, a really Houston important open. player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The only thing that delivers on Sunday, right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, regardless, like he is flying a private jet with his family across the Atlantic Ocean. So a transcontinental private jet. I heard somewhere that like the cost of this flight is like $190,000 for this one flight. And so to me, watching this episode, like even though I felt Poulter for the most part was being Ian Poulter, I felt like it was genuine. I didn't feel like it was an act. You know, my big takeaway was like, man. This guy is sitting on this private jet that costs one hundred ninety thousand dollars with his entire family going across the ocean, and he's saying, "You know, if I miss a cut, I really don't have enough money to cover costs." Like, ah, that feels like a bunch of crap to me. It really, it really, especially for someone who is a collector of Ferraris. He has a garage with like ten Ferraris in it. I, I don't know. Like this episode went the wrong way because that was like, I mean, again, how much is enough, right? And it's pretty clear to me that uh, he's got enough. And I think, honestly, he can say it's about the money all he wants. To me, it had to have been a competitive decision to join Liv because he's not—he's just not a competitive player anymore. Um, I think this was a way for him to secure himself financially even more than he already had and not have to actually earn any money, right? Uh, well, because it, he doesn't have the game to do it anymore. And he, and he expressed, I guess he expressed in the episode a little bit of like, hey, you know, I don't know how much longer my game is going to be holding up against the best players in the world, but... I think that was probably the bigger part of his decision. Uh, but again, I, I think just that idea of like wealth is relative um, really came, came across to me, but also came across in a very ironic way, given the places Poulter was complaining about not having enough money. 
and the travel I, I i just can't get over the travel i think this episode showed me the most of what it's like to be a professional i i know i mentioned it but i'm going to go back to it of just like he now gets to play a t- more than one tournament on home soil if he wants to and it not be like i mean he could do that on the european tour or something like that but like he could play a live tour in uh, you know tournament in england now you know and his family can be there and i can't really speak to how what that feels like but i would think that that definitely had some serious pull with a guy like him mm-hmm. and i think there's some gravity to how much you're not home, you know, with things like that, especially if it's a transatlantic flight to, to get back. But, um, see the only, yeah. the only place I don't disagree with him. I think the only place I'd push back is like Poulter lives in Florida. You know what I'm saying? So if he wants to spend time in England so bad, then just live. Yeah. There, right. Like, yeah. yeah. Go back. That's not exactly the point. It's just like, you know, and maybe Liv gives him more flexibility to do that because he doesn't have to be in the U.S. for the entire year. But what, like nine of the 14 Liv events are in North America anyway? So it's like he still kind of does have to be there. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, to me, it seems like a lot of complaining for not a lot of reason. I'll be honest. I, I, did, so, I did not enjoy this episode broadly. The Yeah, the, the Liv schedule is we, we've already had Mayakoba. Tucson is the next one. Arizona. Orlando. Australia. Singapore, and they're going to the home of golf, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then Trump National in Washington, D.C. They're going to Spain, London, Greenbrier in West Virginia, Bedminster, uh, Rich Harvest Farms, Chicago, uh, Miami, and then uh, back to Saudi Arabia for their last event. I don't know. Just just food for thought on the whole, like, okay, does he need to be closer to home? Well, there's uh, two little events in his home state, so <laughs> he's got a couple of home games. What's our next? I will say what, one one final note for me on this episode is just I, the and again I, I want to highlight all these episodes. One thing I think the episode did a really good job of, and I I'll, to, to Ian Porter's credit, they showed him as like a really good dad, and his kids seemed to really really like him. Um, I really enjoyed the family putting contest on the private jet. I mean. Isn't that not, is that not goals? That would be awesome to be on a private chat with your family having Wait, a funny you, time. You don't do that. I, I wish I could, man. I don't have 190K in the bag for it. Um, but uh, I thought that was really cool. And I wish they'd explore the storyline a little bit more of his relationship with his son, Luke, uh, who's an aspiring golfer himself. Um, you know, he's got quite quite some game, and I don't think they really explored that as much as I hoped they would have. Uh, just because, I, you know, they did a great job of that in the Tony Fina episode, which we'll get to. I thought they explored the father-son relationship super well, um, and I wish they'd done that a little bit more with Ian Poulter. But from what I did see, I enjoyed watching his interactions with his family when they were together. So as someone who's not an Ian Poulter fan, I respected that a lot, and uh, I enjoyed seeing the fun their family had. Yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give a hard pushback on, on the father-son relationship with Poulter. I could have done without that for this episode. <laughs> what 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 did you like about it? I just He's didn't okay. find it compelling. I didn't yeah. find it interesting. It's like okay well, I, I don't think they He's dove like, into it enough to make it interesting as part of my point. Like I wish they'd spend more time there. Yeah, I mean maybe that's fair, but I mean I think part of what made the Tony Finau thing interesting was Tony Finau's start Tony Finau started with golf with his dad. And now he's passing that on to his son. But they didn't go into that with Poulter. They just—it was just about Poulter. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, his son was in the episode. Just think of how much footage they left on the cutting floor with this, right. Right. and how much, how much could have been added to the episode by by including some of that. Yeah, but but I, I mean, I'm I, watching I'm watching a show about about Ian Poulter, not about Ian Poulter's son. You know that, that I think that's right. my, that's my point. Like, yeah. there's got to be more. Ian Poulter footage that's interesting, or I don't know, maybe and maybe maybe I, I just can't imagine that Ian Poulter didn't give them enough interesting footage, or I mean they could have they could have done so much more with his backstory and right. I mean they showed a lot of of uh, of footage of him playing in Ryder Cups, which I thought was interesting and probably the most compelling part of this episode, um, given that whole fallout 
that's going to be happening since he joined Live. But I, I, I want to talk about the Ryder Cup before we move on to the next episode. He's never he's never won a major, but he's you know one of the more well known golfers of of this generation. And before he joined Live, a definite future Ryder Cup captain for Europe. I, I wish they would have gone into a little bit more of his history. And there's definitely some footage that they had access to that they could have filled in the gaps there. Um, but, but before we move on to the next episode, which is might be my favorite episode, um, I want to ask the question, how, how much does the Ryder Cup really mean to Ian Poulter? He says it means a lot. I'm inclined to believe him. He's had a lot of great history and a lot of great moments. And his playing days in the Ryder Cup are, are would have been close to over, if not over. But he says in the ep- in the episode that it would be absolutely devastating to him if he wasn't going to be a captain in the Ryder Cup because of all of this. He had to have known that that was was not going to be happening once he once he left for live. I mean, it, there was always this you know fuzzy picture that was trying to be painted by the live guys when they were leaving. Like, oh, we don't know if we're going to be you know able to to play in the majors or in the Ryder Cup, and it always seemed to be the consensus from everyone else that I don't think the majors are going to ban live guys, but also the guys that go to live are not going to be playing in the President's Cup for obvious reasons, and they're not going to be playing in the Ryder Cup. That seemed to be a, a consensus, and, and maybe one of you can correct me on that. But I don't know. I'm just I'm kind of I'm just kind of left wondering, like given his decision, like how much does it really mean to him if he's willing to take all that money to give that up? I just think he liked team golf. And now he gets to do that forever. <laughs> no, like I'm being totally serious. Like it's now like, it's totally different. I mean, we all play. It's totally different when you play in a four ball scramble, best ball or something. than when it's just you by yourself against your opponents that are in your foursome, right? Like it's, it's a totally different game. I'm not saying that's exactly what they're doing and live, but like they're doing something like that where you have a team now whether you're, what is this team, Majestics, right? Like, if you're with the Majestics, then, like, you know, you can you can beat your chest, you can wear the colors, you know. It may not be your country's colors, but I think he gets a similar, you know, a, a similar feel from that, and I think that's what brought him over. I think he just liked group golf, and now he gets to do that. I think the Majestics need better uniforms, but um, that's, that's, my, that's my only other comment. I'll just say that, that Tim and I both uh, both got the Majestics as our team in the, in the Live Golf uh, online picker they have on their uh, on the website. You can take a quiz and get your team. and And Tim and I are hard in the Majestics corner. I we really are, never loved a sporting a, a sporting organization more than the Majestics, dude. I mean, I mean, tattooed on my back. Exactly, I would get a tattoo on my forehead. <laughs> Majestics logo with their three captains. <laughs> three of the four players are captains in the Majestics, which is cool. Uh, yeah, I, I got the Iron Head, so we're, so we're going to move on to episode four <laughs> and, and talk about Joel Damon and his caddy, Gino. And I said that uh, the episode two was the best episode of the series. I think this is the most compelling from a storyline perspective. We really got a inside look at what it's like for a caddy on the PGA Tour, which I thought was really interesting. And something that you don't get anywhere else in the series. There, I mean, there are lots of interesting storylines in here, and I actually think that they did a pretty good job of, of following all of them through. You have the whole Joel Damon, I am not good at golf storyline, which I thought was really interesting. I really liked Max's quote where he says that a lot of my alcoholic beverage nights with Joel end up with me yelling at him about how good he is at golf, which is completely unrelatable, but super interesting. The whole story about Joel and his mom dying of cancer when he was really young. And then and then he had cancer and him overcoming that and still being able to play golf. That was extremely compelling. And then the whole story about how his best friend Gino wrote him an email applying to be his caddy, which if you haven't read the whole email, I really encourage you to just Google Joel Damon caddy email application and, and read it. It is, I, I almost started crying when I read it and I'm not Joel or Gino's best friend. So that's a really cool story. And I thought they did a really good job of explaining their relationship and explaining the dynamic of Joel dealing with whether he was going to accept this application where, you know, he obviously would enjoy being on the, uh, on the PJ tour with his best friend as his caddy, but he didn't 
he wasn't sure if his best friend really knew what he was getting into with leaving his family. And he truly cares about Gino's wife and, and how she felt about the whole thing. I mean, that I thought that was really cool. The, the biggest thing that I didn't like in this episode and, and Tim, we, we kind of went back and forth about this. Rory says that belief in themselves is what sets apart the best players in the world. And I just could not disagree with Rory more. And, and maybe that's kind of taken out of context from the interview that he gave. And, and maybe that's not exactly what he was saying, or maybe he was saying it in a different context. And I would like uh, Netflix. I'm officially going on the record to request that Netflix publish the whole context of that interview. Tim, I, I'm, I'm going to go to you first after, after I finish because we, we had a roll in the back of his head, man. We're, we're ready for the, some fisticuffs. <laughs> but there is, there is a golf skill difference between player 100 in the world and Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, and Rory McIlroy. I truly think Caleb and I could debate this for probably like six hours. If we really like, I think if Caleb and I played a round of golf, we could talk about this literally for the entire round. Um, not knowing if, if we would ever find an end to it. And, and I am trying to be conscious of the fact that we're only on episode four and we're like, you know, we, we've already got a lot of time on our hands. So I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Quickly recapping the episode, I where I will fully agree with Caleb is I think this was the most compelling episode of the series by far. I think Joel was completely honest. I think you're completely right with how they showed the caddies and and how they get you know get treated and how everything is for for people that don't know. For almost all of the caddies, probably eighty percent, they get a percentage of the winnings of of the player. And then for some of like the kind of like top top guys that are like kind of season winners they win pretty consistently then those caddies tend to get like a flat rate because i mean at that point they're players making enough money they can afford to just kind of pay them a flat rate um so yeah i i love this i i think for i think this episode was truly for for the golf fans because i knew who joel damon was you know i'd seen his name on leaderboards but like i, I didn't know any of them his thing with his mother his, and him having cancer the, the letter and now I watch, and I'm like, I'm like rooting for Joel Damon now. So I thought that was cool. Getting to the meat and potatoes of the argument, I, I gosh, I don't even know where to start, Caleb. I truly don't. I, I, I think to, <laughs> to throw to throw a bone right up, what I, I do agree that the kind of top players in the world, there is absolutely a difference in in skill. That's that's non debatable. I, I think we're maybe we differ and I feel like I didn't do a great job explaining this in the, in the previous episode is my argument that is that if you, I don't know if you go to any, if you've been, any guys, if you guys have been to any golf tournaments recently, but they oftentimes do a thing where every bay on the, the range is a track band. And then there's a big board on the left of the range and it shows you all the shots. And my contention would be if you took away the players and you just look at the shots, like, you would have no idea who is like it's it's not like one person is maybe you'd be able to guess who's driving it the longest but that doesn't always determine the winner like i i don't think as far as the actual striking of the ball there's that big of a difference between one and a hundred now tiger is that one in a million difference where tiger was physically much better than literally everybody else but today i think it's much more of just some guys have it mentally and some guys don't right and i think about when i was growing up and playing competitively like the guys that were smoking me and i was a fairly good competitive player they didn't hit the ball much further than me they they didn't hit their irons that much crisper than me they just hit the ball straighter and then hit it closer and we our swings kind of look like they just they just did it and i think that yes you're right that no it's not just joel is not confident enough there there's but there's something else there's something else that he's missing but my contention is that it's more mental than it is physical i couldn't agree with you more tim there's a uh interview of tiger and like one of his very before one of his very first tournaments i can't remember who's it's a fellow tour member that's interviewing him do you know what i'm talking Curtis about strange it was Curtis yeah strange. yeah it's Curtis strange I, I and, tiger, interview, yeah. and tiger's like i'm there to win and Curtis strange's like oh, to win. yeah my goal's yeah. twin He's like, no, no. And he's like, no, really. Like, my goal is to win. <laughs> You'll learn. You'll learn. And 
I, I, I agree with you, Tim. I think there's a, there's a, you know, if you have that mentality of I'm there to win and I'm going to beat everyone. If they're my friend, they're now my enemy and I will beat them. And then if you have the Joel Damon attitude of like, Hey, if I make the cut and I get a paycheck this week, like we're pretty good. You know, like, I think if you have that mentality, then you're going to get exactly what you're putting into it. You know, it kind of also makes me think of the, that a couple of years ago, Pat Perez won a tournament and he was like, yeah. I don't work out. I don't do anything. Like I eat junk food. Yeah. And he said, I won and I'm still going to eat junk food. I'm still not going to work out. Like, yeah, know, a, look, look at how it worked out for him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess fine because he's making a lot of money. He's, he's yeah. team champion. Money now. Member yeah, of the four aces, the Vaunted yeah. four aces. Maybe I'll Everybody that. knows the four aces. Yeah, I think yeah. if you're household name. <laughs> yeah, household name. I think if you're, you know, if if you have that mentality, it works out. I I play with a a, a friend. Um, he's a really good friend of mine. Um, we've went to the uh, the the PGA Championship with him. Kevin and I did when we play together. He he always you know, says this thing of like, yeah, you need to change your mentality when you're playing. You know, if you stand over a putt and it's a knee knocker putt and you say, hold on, I've been playing golf with, in my case, I've been playing golf for 10 years. I have no reason not to make this putt. Your mentality changes, you know, like I've been playing this game a while. I can make this instead of saying, Hey, let me see if I can do this. I, you know, I, I, maybe I'm just superstitious. I probably am, but I think there's, there's a mentality aspect to it that, if you have a different approach to it, if you have this confident approach and you, I don't want to say your killer instinct, but I can't think of a better way to describe it. Like if you're going to, if you're going to turn on and do it and you have that mentality of doing it, then I think it's going to work out for you. But well, I, I was just going to say, it's, that's a, it's an interesting angle to consider it, William. And I guess I hadn't, you know, obviously I heard Caleb and Tim had the same debate, you know, last week when we recorded the the players part three, but I hadn't thought about it in, in the way that you just mentioned, because I think both of them are saying things that I agree with at different points in time, you know, and I've kind of been stuck in the middle somewhere on a lot of like where I fall on the mental versus physical spectrum. But hearing you say that thing about mindset, William, like I can't think of any high level PGA tour pro that has the mindset Joel Damon has in this episode and displays. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. Uh, in that, like, when I go through the list of, like, the top, top guys, like, it might look a little different guy to guy. And I'm sure, like, their mental game, their approach is different to the game. But all of them truly believe they're the best in the world. And, Caleb, you and I actually had a little bit of back and forth about this a few weeks ago when Rom was complaining about the world rankings, saying that he should have been number one in the world. And then Roy was kind of like, why would I like to get back to number one in the world? And then Scotty was like, hey, just so you know, like, I don't really like being number two. The thing is, like, all of them have that mindset. And I think the quote that people remember most from the Joel Damon episode is like, hey, someone has to be the 70th ranked golfer in the world, and that's me. That's a super different mindset to what Scotty and John Rahm and Rory McIlroy are discussing with, like, you know, being number two in the world kind of stinks. Like, I'd much rather be number one. And so, so I think there's an inherent difference there. And I think, again, I love this episode for a lot of the same reasons you guys loved it. But as far as like the sort of debate you guys have had, I think William makes a good point that it kind of ties ties things together for me a little bit. So go I, go mope around for eighteen holes and then have a killer instinct for eighteen holes and like turn on that positive. There's, there's a big difference. A big I think difference. you'll have two different schools. Well, true, yeah. true. You you and I, I felt like I was there on. I mean, you you ramped up from a, a fair a, an average golfer to a, a really good golfer in in a very short period of time, and. You know, I know that you were you, you and I worked with the same coach, and so you were definitely making some changes. But I, and I could be wrong; I could be projecting. So correct me if I'm wrong. But I always felt like the biggest change for you is when you really were able to like get control of your emotions on the golf course and change your mentality. That's when I started to see you. I felt like go like really low, like pretty consistently. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree. I, I think it's. I mean, honestly, it's still the biggest challenge for me on the golf course. But, you know, it, it, in a lot of ways, like. I don't believe there are a lot of players of uh, in my like class of golfers. I don't think mm -hmm. anyone can hit shots that I can't hit. I'll put it that way. Right. I, agree. I believe from a physical perspective, I've got the tools in the bag. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I know, again, this is, I'm not a PGA tour player, so maybe it's different out on tour. Right. But I know from a personal perspective, like if I can control my emotions and just trust the amount of time and effort I've put in to have the best physical skills I possibly can have, 
then I'm going to shoot a good score. You know, if I'm playing golf and I'm not playing, you know, dollhouse on the right, or I'm not, you know, playing golf swing, um, I'm going to perform well. And I think to a certain extent, like that's where the mental part of the game comes into play. Right. Uh, I think even, I think you could overcome some physical deficiency as well. If you're a little bit rusty or you've got a bad miss that day. I think to a certain extent, not all the way, because sometimes you just hit it in bad spots and you're going to lose the ball, and that's kind of that. That's where the physical stuff comes into play. Um, but I think you can mitigate a lot of that with with a strong mental game, and I think all the best pros in the PGA Tour firmly believe they're the best, even when they don't have their A game. We've heard Rom say that. We've heard Scotty say it. We've heard Rory say it. They've all won with games less than their A game, and I think a lot of that uh, can be tacked down to... I mean, someone like a Tyrrell Hatton is a great example probably a mental midget probably one of the weaker mental players on tour yep and he's won a number of times on the dp world tour he's won on the pga tour but only when he has his a game he's not a player that wins with his c game and so i think that's a, a good example of like you know compare him to a rory who's won a bunch on his c game to or what rom used to be what's that yeah or what rom used to be yes that's a great point that, that's we, a great we, point we, actually we saw yeah. we, i remember watching him break a couple clubs on tv I mean, I'm not. I'm not at all saying that men, men, mentality has no place in in golf and is not a deciding factor in golf skill. But I think there is a big difference between mentality and confidence. In that mentality, I agree with that mentality. Like, for example, Max Homa is Max Homa a top ten player in the world just because all of a sudden he got really confident, or is it because he had this mentality that? you know what, I'm going to work my ass off and I'm going to do everything that I can to be the number one player in the world. And if that requires putting in hours and hours and hours off the course, then I'm going to do that. Whereas like this whole confidence thing is somewhat related, but it is much more connected to the whimsical ups and downs of, did you just hit a good shot or not? And I mean, I, I think that Joel Damon is a lot more confident than this episode lets on. I think that he genuinely thinks he's really good at golf. I think he thinks that he can win golf tournaments. I don't know if he genuinely thinks he can win a major. I know that he can, but his mentality isn't that golf is my whole life and I'm going to put in an insane amount of hours off of the course to make golf my whole life and to be the best in the world at golf because that's not what he cares about. And I agree. If, if that is your argument for mentality is superior in terms of determining who the best players are, then I'll concede that. But I don't think that that is necessarily the comment that was being made in this episode. And no, I agree that that is the issue that I take with it. I just think that it reduces all of the interesting things about golf. I mean, like if golf was just about who thought that that they could win the most when they showed up to the golf course, I mean, what's the whole point of watching golf tournaments? I mean, it, it, it just makes them completely meaningless and us talking here about, Jordan Spieth working on, you know, his his driver was terrible and how he's put in a whole lot of work to fix that. And it's gotten really good. He's really good off the tee. But now he's he's sacrificed putting practice because of that. And now he sucks at putting. And now he's trying to find that balance in his practice. I mean, those are really interesting aspects of being a golf fan. And if it's just reduced down to I'm really confident and therefore I win, I mean, that's just not interesting. So I, I think that is the the insinuation. And again, I'm, this is not a, an attack on Rory because obviously he made that comment in a context that was not the same no, in which Joel. it was yep. inserted into this yep. episode. Um, but I, I, I just don't think that that was an honest uh, edit there uh, by, by the producers. But um, um, unless anyone else has has comments, the only other thing that I will say about this episode is I love the... Uh, stroller shopping scene in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought him trying to 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 yank the stroller to to unfold it was hilarious. Anyone else have any highlights that they want to mention before we move on? The best the best quote I think was from that scene where he walks in. Would you consider yourself a, an expert in the stroller world? Like <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. What was her response? Like, uh, like, uh, uh, She's like, well, others are probably more of an expert than me, but I can help yeah, but, you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's like, she was, she's like, I, I have a pretty good idea of what's going on. <laughs> yeah. I think just the one, my big takeaway from the episode, um, one thing I think they did a great job was, wow, they did an unbelievable job of displaying 
a personal redemptive arc in this story. You know, like they did a great job of sharing hardship with his mother passing, hardship with, um, you know, his own battle with cancer. And then just like the uncertainty of kind of jumping in a car, living out of a car with your best friend, trying to figure out how to make money and survive with their job as professional golf. Uh, and then ultimately to have, and then even at a micro level, when they showed him at the U S open qualifier, I mean, that was like emblematic. I think a lot of, of a lot of the hardships he's shown in life and for him to kind of overcome that play a great second round, make the U S open and then have a high finish there, man, like the whole, th- th- this episode more than any other one, I think demonstrated a kind of cohesive storyline that included a redemptive arc. This one was one of the few episodes that was not distracted by a bunch of storylines. And uh, again, this is the kind of story that makes you root for someone like Tim said. So I didn't know a ton about Joel Damon. I will be rooting for much, much harder after watching this. And I think it's because they gave time and attention only to his story. Um, And this episode did a fantastic job of that. Totally agree. Totally agree. I think uh, we have four Joel Damon to win a major fans uh, on this podcast. All right, we're going to take a quick break from our full swing coverage to share a quick message from our sponsor, Basketball and Business. I know we've obviously got a lot of golf fans listening to this pod, but if you're anything like me, March Madness is one of the best times of the year. A couple of months ago, a buddy of ours started a college basketball newsletter. It comes to my inbox once a week and keeps me updated on the scores, big upsets, predictions, and more, all in five minutes or less. So I have high expectations for my bracket this year since I am up to date on what is happening, even though I don't have all the time to keep up with every game happening throughout the week. Between work, friends, and chores, I'm lucky to catch even just a game or two on Saturdays. So basketball and business has been a great way to keep involved and feed my love for sports and sports news. We will include the link in the show notes for you to check it out. So the next two episodes, we can talk about them together. Uh, episode five is Matt Fitzpatrick and Dustin Johnson. I thought this was kind of a, a weird pairing. I wasn't exactly sure why these two were paired together. This one was just felt kind of random to me. Um, I actually disagree. Then, I, I disagree, actually. We'll, we'll get into that. But Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I, I, would be, I would be glad for you to enlighten me and make me feel differently. Um, and then episode six was uh, Tony Finau and Colin Morikawa. So a lot of big name players in these episodes, a a lot to get to. There's a lot of content here that we could talk about. If we're talking about uh, my second biggest gripe with the series is felt like very forced insinuation that Colin Morikawa was Tiger Woods 2.0, which was, I'm a golf fan. That completely came out of left field for me. Yeah, where did that come from? That was so random. Like I've I've never heard anyone suggests that Colin Morikawa is going to be the next Tiger Woods. Not to take anything away from Colin and, and what he's accomplished. He's a fantastic golfer, and he has accomplished a whole lot. I think it was uh, Dylan who, was, who said, like, comparing anyone to Tiger Woods is irresponsible. Cut to the next scene is him comparing Colin to Tiger Woods. Like, I, I don't know. That was a, a little frustrating. But, Drew, um, the floor is yours to convince me that uh, – Fitz and DJ are a good pairing. Okay, yeah. So I, I think my thought for Fitz and DJ, and maybe this doesn't isn't applicable to like the episode as a whole. I certainly don't think it was as cohesive as a contrast as we saw with you know Brooks and Scotty in episode two. To me, this is more of a visual contrast, which I think kind of helps understand what's going on in this episode. When you look at Dustin Johnson and you look at Matt Fitzpatrick, and they had some scenes of them walking next to each other in the, early in this episode. And I was sitting there like, oh my gosh, Matthew Patrick is like half the, literally half the height of Dustin Johnson. Uh, And so I think for me, it was interesting as like a physical exploration. And I guess, again, this sort of goes into some of the stuff we were talking about with like differences in physical ability. Like Dustin Johnson, obviously two-time major champion, you know, has won like 24 times on tour, surefire Hall of Famer. Matthew Patrick had some wins on the then European tour and had not yet won on the PGA Tour. And he frankly looks like he's like 12 years old. Um, he wears braces. He chips cross-handed. Uh, and they showed all this stuff kind of at a relatively close level in the episode. And you compare him to DJ, who's like, you know, could be a tight end or 
a basketball player, actually maybe not a basketball player after his jump shot in the uh, in the series, pretty pretty rough form, <laughs> honestly from DJ on that. But to me, like you're comparing this physical athletic specimen, Dustin Johnson, who's had tons of success, apparently has it all together. You know, he's got a beautiful wife, he's got kids. You know, he lives in a mansion, he's won all this money, and then you got Matt Fitzpatrick, who I think is not seen as the same class of player as Dustin Johnson, at least historically, has not been that way. Physically, he's diminutive. He's super small and skinny. And he's not won anything on the PGA Tour. And you get some insight into his family life, but it's not like he's got the wife and kids that DJ have has. So for me, it's like you're looking at two players that really, in a lot of ways, could not be more different. And this episode culminating in Fitzpatrick winning the US Open, I, I think, was amazing because it where, shows that where two he won players... The US Amateur. Where he won the U.S. Amateur, right? I think it shows that two, like to me, this episode and this particular pairing exemplified the beauty of golf and what golf can be, because you've got two players that could not be more different, and you've got two players that in any other sport, DJ would beat the crap out of Matt Fitzpatrick in any other sport, like any any other sport except for I don't know, like racquetball or something you know something that doesn't require a size like dj has the fact that match Fitzpatrick was able to win the u.s open against theoretically a field of djs for lack of a better word is a remarkable thing to me and that contrast was particularly clear while watching this and then i think too even from a psychological perspective like dustin johnson he's kind of known for having a short memory for not really caring you know, he kind of just goes out and plays golf. He, he's kind of what Brooks acted like he was for a long time. And DJ probably actually is that way. Matt Fitzpatrick, on the other hand, I love what the episode was saying about, like, he took physical notes of every single shot he ever hit since he was 15 years old. And to me, it speaks to, like, Matt Fitzpatrick maybe does not have the physical gifts of a Dustin Johnson, definitely does not have them. But he put in so many hours of work from such a young age to overcome the inherent physical advantages Dustin Johnson had and they both played in the same tournament one of the biggest tournaments in the history of golf a U.S. Open and Matt Fitzpatrick won to me and even though DJ wasn't in contention in that tournament I think the whole point is not that DJ was there or wasn't there I think it's more like look Matt Fitzpatrick beat a field of these guys and that is what makes golf so special so yeah I think watching this episode the second time especially that was so apparent to me and that's why the pairing is so effective, I think, because they are literally so different in every single way. So it feels random because they're so different, but I think that's what makes it great. I think you you make a lot of good points there. I think that um, with Matt Fitzpatrick, you know, you, t- you talked a little bit about, you know, he's recorded every shot he's played since he was 15. I appreciate the analytical side of it. You see him there. There's a couple of scenes. He's sitting there, you know, by the computer you know, got Excel open and he's looking at some stats. I told Caleb this earlier. I appreciated that he was, uh, he is the analytical person that Bryson is, but he doesn't believe that he can beat a course into submission. Um, but I, I thought, I thought that was really cool for them to, them being Netflix to show a different side of golf as it's, it's not like this whole, I mean, it can be a spiritual experience of playing around, but, you know, it can be very mathematical. You know, you can sit somewhere and know, you know, with a certain percentage of confidence how you are on it and and how you feel about a shot. And I think this was a great year for them to follow someone like him. I think that for the future of golf, it was a great pairing. I think it was, it was someone like DJ who's been around since the 2000s who, you know, we're, we know what Tory's playing on now. And then you have someone like Matt Fitzpatrick, who, as you said, Drew, won on the European tour. And now he, I mean, he could be the face of, you know, he could be the Rory in 10, 15 years, right? He could be someone like that and on the PGA tour. And I think it's neat that he got the screen time because I think it's going to project his game um, in ways that maybe not have been a pre, you know, his game wasn't appreciated without it. Tim, do you have uh, thoughts on either Fitz, DJ, or uh, Tony and Colin? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would agree with Drew. I, I I always said whenever I think of DJ, I, I knew a guy that played against him pretty, con- pretty consistently in college. DJ went to Coastal Carolina, and my friend, I believe, went to 
was it North Florida? Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, but he he told this one story of how he showed up and he was everybody was ready. You know, college tournament, you get kind of nervous and it's you know, kind of exciting and all this stuff. And you know, this one guy shows up 15 minutes late. His his you know his polo's untucked. He like gets up to the tees, like scrounging around in his pocket for a tee. Can't find one. Drops a ball. Takes out a two iron, hits it three hundred yards down the middle of the fairway, and wins the tournament by like seven shots at Dustin Johnson. Like, just to Drew's point, just like raw athletic talent and ability combined. Like in contrast to Matt Fitzpatrick, who's like, I will just know literally every single shot that I hit and figure out statistically where I need to be the best. I thought that was cool. Overall, other than that, it wasn't, you know, best episode, it wasn't the worst. I, I do want to hit on one thing you talked about, Caleb, when it comes to Colin Markowell, which is like the Tiger comparison. And we have been seeing it forever, right? The, the first real comparison to Tiger was was after Tiger kind of, uh, I don't want to say fell off, but, but after Tiger was Rory, right? Rory came on the scene, he won quick. And was like, they were like, oh my God, this is the next Tiger. He, he's a young gun who's coming here, hitting the ball a mile. So good, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think that's a kind of, as you mentioned, a very irresponsible thing to do in the game of golf is to whenever a young kid comes out and starts to win and get hot early to the entire golf media say he's the next Tiger. I personally don't think there's going to be a next Tiger at least for a, a very, very long time, if ever. And it puts just like, there's already so much pressure on a young kid to come out and win. You, we, they don't need to do that to Rory and Colin. Jordan was like that. I think that's one of the reasons why Jordan kind of cracked a little bit is, you know, he won quick and everybody's like Tiger Woods. And then he, you know, he kind of turned himself a little bit into a head case. Like we, we just constantly seen that. And it, all it does is ruin people's games. To go back to the Fitz and DJ episode, one of my gripes with the series as a whole is the whole show me, don't tell me. I thought they told me a lot of things, but didn't show me. And we, we've, we've talked about some, of, some examples of that. But I think there were also a lot of examples of situations where you can just tell me this, you don't have to show me. And I think a, 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 the, the biggest example of this throughout the whole series was when they're, they're trying to set up the Fitz win at the U.S. Open. And they go back to Tulsa. I have we're we're back in Tulsa. Three exclamation points, triple underlined in my notes. And they show highlights from his whole tournament, showing how you know he had this great start and he was in this great position. And he just didn't get it done in Tulsa. To I don't know, give context of you know this. He's a really good golfer and. He's been really close. He just hasn't won before. Which, again, it, maybe if they hadn't shown any footage of Tulsa through this whole series, that would have been fine. But given that and given the complaints that we have already submitted into the record uh, on that, I just felt that that was completely unnecessary. All you have to do is say, here's a guy who is really good at golf. He has so many top 10 finishes, so many top fives. He's even finished top two a couple times. And in the major right before this one, he was in prime position to win and he didn't get it done. That's all you have to do. We didn't have to go back to mm. Tulsa and go I, through this. I disagree. Wall. I disagree. Actually, you want, you wanted more Tulsa. No, I didn't want more Tulsa specifically, but I think showing us, kind of what the agony of defeat looks like and feels like just a month or two before a huge breakthrough win is a super, super effective storytelling tool. And I, I, I would much rather have more of that than DJ and his family sitting silently around the dinner table <laughs> or, or Matt Fitzpatrick and brother roasting their dad for being on his phone too much. You know, like so, some of the stuff around the house and Thomas Peters as like the worst house guest in the entire world, you know, like <laughs> to me, I could have lost a lot of that stuff for more of like, man, I, I kind of wish they'd talked to Fitz or explored even more in detail how he felt right after the PGA. Um, because I really actually, I liked seeing that. I loved seeing, you know, seeing the visual contrast, like the best moment of this episode clearly is when Fitz wins the U S open 
Rory comes and gives them a big hug. They capture that celebration really, really well, just like they did for JT at in Tulsa, of course. Um, I wish they'd almost shown even more of what happened, shown even more of what happened at the PGA, so we could really kind of compare and contrast the scenes of an agonizing close defeat in a major, which was important to know one of Fitzpatrick's first times being in real contention at a major with like the exact opposite feeling of just total elation of a breakthrough victory. So I actually, I appreciated them going back to Tulsa for once in this series. But I drew, I totally agree with you that seeing the agony of defeat in that moment was really compelling, but we didn't need to see his highlights from round yeah, one, two and three. Like show us, show us a few shots from the back nine on Sunday. Show us him walking off sheepishly on the eight of the 18th green, getting in his car, and like you said, maybe uh, uh, talk to him a little bit about what what it felt like to drive away, mm. knowing that the tournament was so close, and it, you let it slip away. Uh, Tell and- me what that feels like. But I don't need to see highlights from. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I don't, I don't know. In, in, in some sense, sorry, William, one second. In, in some sense, I really like that they showed the rounds one, two, and three. And I think when I was watching and I appreciated it because you see how much for each of these players individually goes into even having a chance to win a major championship. And so to me, I appreciated like Matt Fitzpatrick's probably thinking that whole time in Tulsa, like, after round one, after round two, like I'm in contention. Like this is my chance. This is a huge opportunity for me. And as a player, you think about them building towards that and building towards even having a all players talk about wanting to have a chance to win a tournament going into the back nine on a Sunday. I like that they showed us what it took for him to get there and the emotional kind of like toll that takes because they followed him round by round. And you see how like your hopes get higher and higher throughout each round of the tournament. And then ultimately to have a very disappointing final round and not get it done made me realize like, dang, man, like he, you know, put four rounds of really good work into this event, played great for three of them. I'm glad we got to see that. We saw him struggle here. And then to get kind of off of that emotional disappointment, get back on the horse and do it for four more rounds and win the US Open a month later. Like to me, showing all that stuff completes the story and lets me know what he really is going through from an emotional and preparation perspective. Well, I I think we got to, Remember also, it may seem redundant for us to relive Matt Fitzpatrick's four rounds at the US, uh, not the US, at the PGA, because we all actually watched it, right? There's people watching the show that have no idea how Matt Fitzpatrick did at the PGA. And now they can kind of buy into his story a little bit. And I think, in terms of getting more people interested in golf, that was the purpose of it. Of okay, they kind of know how to appreciate following a person for a week, but they also understand the importance of making the cut, right? And they, they bring so many golf analysts. They, they definitely make that very clear. They know the right, importance of making the right. cut. But there's importance of making the cut in a major too, right? That's that's something else. And I think that, you know, we can we can make light of how much they bring it up, which is a lot. But I think at the same time, it's it's kind of important to see, like, making the cut in a major is huge, you know? Um, and I, I don't know. I, I think that that's something that, you know, we can, we can say, well, it's big. Or, you know, they talk about it a lot. But when there's money on the line of, you know, they're making more in a week than we'll make in a year, <laughs> like, that's something else, you know? So... Yeah, I, I I definitely hear y'all. I, I'm not. I'm I'm still not convinced. Tim, I think you had some thoughts of this earlier. You want to chime in? The only thing I'll say about this is it was at this point in the series where my girlfriend turned to me. She goes, "Is Tulsa like a hub for golf? Like, is is this like a big <laughs> golf city?" I'm like, "No, no, it is not." I think if if it was going back to the Masters or going back to the Open at St Andrews, right. a bunch. Okay, like fair enough. But do we really have to go back to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Southern Hills? Yeah, no offense to the city or the course. We, we are going to get. We are going to lose every Tulsa, Oklahoma follower. Anybody yeah. would ever listen. Yeah, it's over. We've we've really. Okay, I don't out. think we have anyone from from Tulsa, Oklahoma, listening. <laughs> to the alienated in that market. 
if you're trying to tell the story of the PGA Tour season, which a, a great counterpoint to what I just said is, is that's not what they were trying to do. They were trying to tell the story of individual players. But if I'm a beginner and new to professional golf, which is what this series is supposed to be for, then I'm not sure that I'm really understanding the whole context of the tour schedule and like what the majors are. Yeah, I totally agree. Like what they, what they mean and like, why are, why are these four, are there only four tournaments on the schedule? Like, like Mm. what's the deal with these four? Like, why are they important? Like that seems to me like fairly important things for someone new to professional golf to understand that were never communicated and maybe we can maybe we can take out a couple of them uh, of the clips of them explaining what the cut is and exp- and and insert a couple of, like so this is what the masters is like yeah. sure like that's another that's another explanation that you know the four of us don't need you know we we well understand what the masters is but i, I i'm not sure that that was really ever explained uh, throughout the course of, of the of the series beyond In- just like there are four majors and they're really important in in fairness, this is kind of what Netflix does with these with these shows, though. You know, like I was talking with a coworker of mine who's a huge F one fan, and he was an F one fan long before Drive to Survive. And you know, he texted me when the golf one came out because he knows I'm a big golf guy, and he was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to watch this. Like I'm, you know, curious. And we were talking about it in the office last week after we watched, you know, finished all eight episodes. And he, he he's like as a big golf guy what were your thoughts and i kind of made i made the point you just made caleb i said well it's interesting like you know you kind of get some audio clips and some video clips that don't really go together getting edited together like it doesn't really go in chronological order like we're bouncing around different courses not really getting a sense of the real schedule and there's some storylines being created that just didn't exist when this stuff happened in real time right which is part of the storytelling element of creating a show and he was like dude that is exactly how i feel watching drive to survive he's like during one clip of like a race, they'll show clips from like six different races and like say it's all the same race, just to like, you know, create some drama and to tell a story. And so in some ways, like, I think we just lose that. We lose like a chronological function of the PJ Tour schedule and understanding of like the tenor of the different events and the timing of different events, because that's just like the nature of a show like this. Um, so it is unfortunate. And I think as like a hardcore golf fan, it's frustrating because again, we spend so much time in Tulsa for no reason. Uh, although you could say, I think the two middle majors this year provided like particular character um, kind of in that middle part of the season anyway. Uh, so maybe that's kind of the angle they're going at, but I think a lot of it's just like, this is how they produce a show. And yeah. it seems like they had a lot of hands on deck during the PGA and maybe not as many as they should have at the open. So <laughs> yeah, they didn't I, I want to pay the budget to travel everyone over to, to Scotland. Right. Tim, I, I think it's tough. Like, I, I agree with you. And when you're designing a show, like you said, you have to tell a story. And when you're following something that does something, you know, that goes chronologically like a sporting season, you know, not not every sporting season in every sport always produces a great story. Like, period. Some sporting seasons, you know, obviously there's someone who wins the championship, but it's not like this crazy story. However, last year was like such a good year for storytelling for golf. Like they really could, they really could have done it chronologically. Maybe put like, I I think I was talking to my, again, bring up my girlfriend. I was talking to her about this. Like, I I think they could have done it chronologically while still giving a good player focus to give you the sense of what the schedule is like. And then you bring in the people that, that, that fell off to go to live as it comes off like that would have made a lot more sense to, I think, new golfers. I think it would have been a good encapsulation encapsulation of the season for, you know, avid golf fans. It feels unnecessary to make the season like they did. Well, and, yeah, and, and, and Tim, I, I think I agree in a lot of ways too, because I think going back to what we were saying about Fitzpatrick and Caleb, your comment about like feeling like you didn't want or need to see his four rounds of Southern Hills. I think, I, again, I like them showing the the four rounds, right? But I think I would have liked it even more if we didn't already know who wins at Southern Hills, you know, because I had a friend, exactly. I had a friend text me, not really a golfer, you know, someone I went to high school with and he, you know, was watching the show and, you know, he know he thinks of me as a golf guy because that's what I was thought of as in high school. And Tim, you, you, you were the same way, same right? Thing. So, you know, and it's like at our high school, we were golf guys. Um, regardless, like, you know, they reached out to me and they were kind of like, 
man, you know, I really, really hope Fitzpatrick wins this U.S. Open because, like, I can't see him, like, you know, lose these things twice. Like, it, they can't set this episode up this way and have him lose. But I th- imagine if they had set it up that way in the start of the episode at Southern Hills when we didn't know who won. I think that feeling I was describing earlier that I think they were kind of going for with showing the previous rounds, you would actually be feeling that like oh my gosh like he's getting close this is his chance i hope he pulls it off like i've gotten to know this guy i hope he wins and then he doesn't and you're like oh my gosh like i feel the devastation truly with him because i didn't know it was going to happen and all of a sudden he lost the pga championship and it just makes winning the us open that much better so like i think it only would have been stronger chronologically to include those rounds again going back to the place where we started with all this if we didn't know after the first episode that JT won at Southern Hills, if that makes sense. No, I, I totally agree. And I think that's part of the reason that this whole like, oh, did you know that two really good golfers are also best friends storyline is just so disappointing because we know like it could have been the storyline being Matt Fitzpatrick, really, really good golfer, won multiple times on other tours, have ne- has never won on the PGA Tour. And now he's really close in a major. Also, Mito Pereira, a rookie. He's like 90-something in the world. He's not supposed to be in this position, but he is. And he's leading the tournament on the 18th hole. And then that happens. And also, there's this guy, Justin Thomas. He used to be number one in the world. He, he won the PGA a few years ago, and he hasn't really won since. And then he makes his charge on Sunday. Like, that is a really compelling episode where you weave all of these storylines together and then we can just leave Tulsa and give Tulsa its due, but also move on and, you know, shine more light on other tournaments in other episodes. We're going to pause right there for now and we'll finish our coverage of full swing next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to our channel, hit the notification button and give us a rating and review. This will make sure that you don't miss a future episode of All Aboard Golf and help us to reach more golf fans. Until next time, cheers.